Hey guys, Harrison One back at it once again with a brand new podcast for you. And welcome to episode 16 of Motorsport 101, the podcast covering everything in motorsport with some friendly banter thrown in from two crazy Jamaican YouTube personalities. <laughs> How bad could it possibly be? <laughs> back with us on this episode once again is Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yeah, hello everyone. Always glad to be here. Yep, he's back. Like, luckily, the status quo has uh, has has been returned after King missed like a, a good four show block. He was back last week, and he's he's back again. Thank God for that. I don't <laughs> want to give Crackin another phone call. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's he's too busy burying his head in a while pro master editing coverage these days. Um, and gay anime girls, poor fella. <laughs> don't worry, he'll be back soon. Maybe. Um, in the meantime, on, on this episode of the podcast, it is an absolutely stacked podcast. You thought last week was bad. <laughs> this is going to be even bigger. There's no way this is podcast is going to be anything less than 90 minutes. I guarantee you that. Um, so, the the run list and uh, get a coke because it's, it's going to be a long one. Uh, to get, to get the Chinese Grand Prix in Formula One this past weekend, and uh, you know it, the race itself was kind of boring, but there was a lot of political talk to come as a result of the Chinese Grand Prix. We'll be talking about Rosberg versus Hamilton, and uh, no, we will not be copying down force and talking about whether there were secret team orders at play. Don't be so friggin' ridiculous. Um, <laughs> we'll be talking about whether Rosberg was a sniveling crybaby or not. Brackets. No, he really wasn't. Um, we'll be talking about Ferrari, Renault's engine failure situation, and Pastor Maldonado versus Jensen Button, with a surprising outcome as to who got punished for said incident. You'll never guess. Um, and following on from that, we'll be talking about the grid girl discussion, and this is something I've, I've been trying to avoid, but the story has now become so big, I have to talk about this. Because if I didn't, you guys would accuse me of ducking the question. And the recent story which came out literally in the last 12 hours talking about whether Lewis Hamilton is sexist or not for spraying champagne at a podium girl because this is the first time this has ever happened in the history of motorsports um, and whether it's okay to have podium girls, grid girls. We were talking about the WEC angle of it because the WEC were the first to really publicly show their hand and say they're getting rid of grid girls only to turn around and keep the podium ones. Whoops. Um, so we'll be talking all about that later on in the show. We'll be talking about MotoGP at the Circuit of the Americas, round two of the championship. And surprise, surprise, Mark Marquez wins in America. It's like death and taxes, only three things in life are certain. Um, we'll also be talking about uh, the what caused a 45-minute delay in said race. Paula Spagro and Scott Redding going to war on social media as well as Rule Britannia, two British winners at a Grand Prix event for the first time since 1977, as Sam Lowe's and Danny Kent took dominant wins as well in the Moto2 and 3 categories. We'll be talking about IndyCar at New Orleans, and uh, yeah, it was a bit damp, to say the least. Um, the mayor, who we officially love on this podcast, the mayor of Hinchtown, getting his fourth IndyCar win via complete fluke. We'll explain why during the podcast. And also, yay for Simona in the top four. Hooray. And despite a ton of rain and some cautions and wet weather and all that good stuff. <laughs> and finally, we'll be talking about Formula E at Long Beach from a couple of rounds ago. A couple of rounds ago? A couple of weeks ago. That'll do. Um, we'll be talking about that. Nelson Piquet winning. Lucas Degrassi retaking the championship lead. Daniel Apt with no luck at all in the world. Scott Speed in the wall. And Charles Peake deciding to turn his car into a torpedo against Yano Trillies at the hairpin. 
all that and inevitably some tangents as we talk a whole heap of motorsport on Motorsport 101. So, let's talk about the Chinese Grand Prix King and, surprise, surprise, another fairly comfortable win for Lewis Hamilton in the end. Yep, it seemed like, uh, he was back to regular service at Mercedes. Yeah, like a lot of, I think, the thing is, there was a lot of hype going into this race, and you can obviously see why, given Sebastian Vettel's winning, winning Malaysia and the nature in how he won as well. It wasn't a fluke. In, a sen- in that sense, Ferrari won straight up on strategy and pace, and everyone was like, oh, hang on a minute, maybe Merck's are vulnerable. Uh, China doesn't have Malaysia-like temperatures, unfortunately. So, yeah, it- we were kind of doomed from the get-go, and Vettel was the only guy who qualified within a second of the of, of the pole sitting <laughs> Hamilton, which just summed up, really, the state of the field at this point in time. Um, when it comes to raw pace, nothing is still a consistent threat for Mercedes just yet. It was still an, actually quite a nice weekend in China, funnily enough, but still nowhere near um, the, the kind of temperatures it would take to make the race interesting. It was your, it was your boring run-of-the-mill two-stopper, really, with no alternative, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it was Lewis Hamilton taking the win from Nico Rosberg in second, Sebastian Vettel third, Kimi Raikkonen finally got the rub of the green, finishing in fourth as well. Then the two Williams of... Massa beating Bottas, which was a minor surprise, and uh, ruined just about everybody's GP predictor. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I, saw, I saw like half a dozen people all say the same thing. Why did we all have Massa over? Why didn't we all have Massa over Bottas? I know for a fact that like, me and four other guys on Twitter all missed out on the sixty-point bonus for getting six correct finishes by having the two Williams the wrong way around. I did as well. I did. Uh, as well. And the thing is, too. heading into free practice three, I had it the right way around. I had Massa over Botas, and I was like, I better change that. What made you change that at the last minute? <laughs> I don't know. Massa's performance so far this season. It, I mean, before this race, Massa was pretty much. It seemed like Botas was going to have him all year. Yep, it looked that way, but then, of course, whether these things ever go by the form book in Formula 1, um, yeah, what can you say? Um, so we all missed that where that's concerned. Good job by Romain Grosjean in 7th place. Um, that pretty that pretty much was the maximum on the table there for Lotus, um, for, for those guys involved. And then we have a Sauber Red Bull sandwich with Felipe Nasa in 8th. Ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, one of only two. Uh, in fact, it was the only Renault-powered car not to have a technical problem. More on that later. And uh, Marcus Ericsson get back in the points in 10th place ahead of Sergio Perez. And then Fernando Alonso in 12th. Because, you know, Alonso still thinks McLaren Honda's going to be a thing, even though he got lapped again. <laughs> God Gotta have him. hope. Gotta have hope. God bless his optimism. It, 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 it paved the way for the future. So, the race itself was pretty boring. I, I mean, it's sad that the most exciting part of the Grand Prix was the Chinese marshals struggling to get Max Verstappen's car off the off of the home straight. By having, by having, they, they had literally had to break his front wing off the car to get it through. That's I mean... Uh, the, the Chinese Grand Prix promoters have basically been saying that, you know, because, you know, Chinese Grand Prix is usually pretty dull, mm. and 
they're worried that it, it has affected ticket sales. And number one, they didn't have a, they didn't actually have a race sponsor this year. Last year they had UBS. This year they couldn't get one, and they're worried that yeah, if the races don't get more exciting, that China may be off the calendar. Oh no, no China on the calendar. What a shame. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think the marshals were probably so surprised they had some important action to do with a Chinese Grand Prix for once. They kind of forgot how to push the car through the gate. God bless them. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We, we, we know this is only a minor roast. We all love the marshals, and of course, we all appreciate what they do for Grand Prix racing. But come on, fellas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, get it right. They, they had they had other things to deal with this weekend with people <laughs> deciding, oh, let's run across the track. Yeah, we had a we had we had a spectator um, on during Friday practice, literally trying to steal one of the cars. As it was traveling at 160 miles an hour. Good idea. Maybe it was Fernando Alonso trying to find a better car. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was also a thing. It was a weird, it was a weird weekend in motorsport where Formula One had a Chinese spectator run onto the track. ESPN had a, had a loose goat in their headquarters over in Bristol. And MotoGP had a dog on track on the Friday. Uh, it's, it's been one of those kind of weekends. <laughs> but um, the big talking point going away from China was that we started our Hamilton versus Rosberg blood feud about three races early this year. It's amazing because this time last year after that brilliant race in Bahrain, those two are out of the car hugging each other and patting each other on the back for a fantastic fight. This year we've already got Rosberg pointing fingers at Hamilton and Hamilton pointing fingers at Rosberg and then the team trying to cover it all up on social media. Hashtag best fans. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag we were in no way responsible for our drivers being pillocks. Um, <laughs> all that good stuff. So, for those guys that are unaware of the situation in full, during the second stint of the race, Hamilton was seemingly holding back from showing his true pace. As a result of this, Liko Rosberg got on the radio and complained that because he had no intention to attack Hamilton, because he tried it in the first stint, didn't work, he, he was going to save it for the final stint instead. He's basically t asked if Hamilton could drive a bit faster to get rid of the imminent threat of Sebastian Vettel behind him. Because if, because if Rosberg were to attack and ruin his tyres again, he'd risk giving up second to Sebastian Vettel. So, as a result of that, we had quite a salty press conference down the road as a result. And, um, yeah. Night, night, good night, Kendra. Yeah, she's gone. She's gone to kiss me in the middle of a podcast. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. Way to go, Kendra. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> but um, essentially, as a result of that, Nico basically threw Hamilton under the bus and said that uh, you definitely it was a fact you compromised my race um, in the press conference office. That, that, that press conference doesn't even normally go out live on TV. That's normally for the written press. But it was so juicy that Sky themselves put it up on their website. Like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. Drama. Um, but Sky Sports never have drama on their broadcasts. Um, normally just hyperbole and Hamilton bias, but that's besides the point. So, yeah, a convoluted situation. I think a lot of the fans were throwing Rosberg under the collective bus here, basically accusing him of being a sore loser. Did Rosberg have a point, King, or are we all overblowing this situation? I'd say he did have a point, because I don't 
most fans don't understand the minutia of driving a Formula One car and kind of just jump to the conclusions like, oh, if you were that fast, you would have been able to get around Hamilton. It's like, no, 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 it's not that easy. Like Rosberg explained it on Twitter to a, to someone who replied at him and yeah. basically basically said that he tried to get around him in the first stint, but he was going to like Hamilton was going too slow on corner entry, so he was basically wearing out his front tires if he tried to, you know, overtake him. So it got to the point where trying to trying to pass Hamilton would have compromised his race as a whole. So yeah, as as a, as a result of that, the thing is, well, I have to give props to Nico for even responding to this on social media. It was a straight up hate tweet he responded to, because the guy in question accused accused Rosberg of crying about it, <laughs> and I was like, wow. Well, from, from the from the Twitter handle was it Lewis Hamilton PU? Yep, Lewis Hamilton PU <laughs> sent him that tweet, and I'm like. Holy crap, Nico, you're a braver man than me. <laughs> and I get a lot of hate mail. Trust me. Uh, so, Nico, you're a brave human being. And I'm inclined to believe what he was, what he was saying. I, I, I've always said Nico Rosberg is one of the most honest and genuine drivers in the field. Um, he's not afraid to tackle these issues head on. And I'm inclined to believe him. I've not got a reason to think he was lying. Let's put it that way. And I'm, I'm not like athlete. I'm not going to try and look deeper into these comments and think, but what if he's lying? Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like that. And I, I'm, I could tell he was being genuine and sincere in what he was saying. And it, it kind of begs the question, why was Hamilton going so slowly then? Well, obviously, I don't know. It seemed like Lewis Hamilton... <laughs> It, like you say, Formula One is a team sport until the cars get out and track. It's Lewis Hamilton had no reason to s speed up for Nico Rosberg, just as like, just like like if Lewis Hamilton had been driving for another team that weekend, Nico wouldn't have been able to send that message over the radio. He would have just had to deal with it. But in this situation, it would have compromised the team as a whole if Nico didn't finish second. So. It's on that fence of team sport, individual sport. Yeah, I mean, I like, I like the fact you used one of my old catchphrases when it came to that, so props to you there, King. Five points, pat on the back. Um, <laughs> it's a t I've always said, it's a team sport when it's convenient. <laughs> For all intents and purposes, and as Bernie Eccleston would back me up on this, my, my, my homeboy Bernie, it's a team of individuals. It's it's an individual sport. It's just M Mercedes had the luxury of being able to pull rank in this situation because they are the best team in the field and they are one and two. And it's obvious to radio. Like, I know a couple of my colleagues on Downforce Debrief, a show I was on yesterday, was talking about whether there was secret team orders going on. Well, they weren't secret. It was in public for the world to hear. Hamilton was given a team order to speed up, to basically try and eliminate the threat of Sebastian Vettel behind. Mercs were very public and making sure they were trying to protect the one-two rather than Hamilton's race himself. It, w it was obvious because Vettel was there. He was in range the whole time. He was slowly dragging Raikkonen with him as well. The team was looking out for the team in that situation. They weren't. They weren't favoring Rosberg or Hamilton in that situation. They were protecting the one too. Is that is that right to say? 
yeah, that's completely right to say. And then I don't want to name names here, but somebody said on Twitter that basically, oh, it doesn't matter if Nico would have gotten, would have lost the 15 points for finishing in second. He should have, you know, tried to make some gains in the psychological war and try to pass Lewis. And I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. You're all, you should always take the safe second rather than risking your second place to maybe being overtaken by Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen. Live to fight another day. It's round three, not round 18. Like, seriously, it's not a gamble worth taking. And seriously, can we please as a whole stop mentioning my games and psychology when it comes to Formula One? This shit is a complete catfish, and it's just easy clickbait for journalists to write about. Because journalists in F1 all of a sudden think they're body language experts. Make it stop. I hate when people mention mind games to me. Like, mind games are not proven to to actually be a thing in motorsport. No, no one's this, proven that yet. This is not the NBA where Kevin Garnett's going to make you consider life on the basketball court. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about how his wife's box tastes like Honey Nut Cheerios or something. <laughs> like, I mean, just to go off on a tangent, like, it was basically a news story saying from, like, someone that I, I went to school with, Stephen Adams, said mm-hmm. that, said that Kevin Garnett made him, like, considered, like, why am I even playing basketball? Like, the the hurtful things he was saying on court. Yeah, Kevin Garnett, for those of us who don't know, was a bad, bad man when it came to trash talk. I remember the famous story of when he told Tim Duncan the day after his mother died, oh, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Kevin Garnett is a savage. He holds no mercy when it comes to psychological warfare. That's a thing. Have we ever seen a situation in Formula 1 where it's been proven that mind games is the reason why someone's messed up? No! (laughs) It's all speculation and theory. It's like, oh, Rosberg looks like he's bottled it. On the basis of what? We're three races into a 19-race championship. Hamilton's engine could blow in Bahrain, and Rosberg might take the championship league again, and it's all forgotten about. This is the... I'm ranting here because... I'm trying to get into this field, and it's like, people are writing 1,000-word columns on friggin' mind games. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Really? This is a thing? It's like we're desperate to make a story out of nothing here. There's more on that later. It's just the nat- it's just the nature of, of 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 I'm guessing just nature of sports journalism these days, where you've got to look for anything to write a column about. Yeah, it's like you got to put out a piece. Well, no one can say that this is wrong because it's all speculation. So whatever statements I make are basically legitimate. Yeah, it's like it's le- it's legitimate for the sake of pure convenience and anything else. Um, but yeah, like I, I had to go on a tangent and invent about the mind games thing because somebody put it on my Ask FM inbox the other day. Like, oh, what 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 is your thoughts on this? And it was an article about. You know, has Hamilton got to Rosberg's head? And I'm like, really? I don't think Hamilton's even smart enough to even deliberately try buying games on purpose. Man wears gold <laughs> chains like B.A. Baracus these days, and you're telling me that he's 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 coming out of a plan to wind Rosberg up? Come on now! <laughs> it's like you guys, you guys don't know what mind games are if you're saying that. Exactly. Essentially, is when you're talking about Nico Rosberg, who has an engineering degree and can speak five languages. Do you think he's the kind of guy that's going to buy into mind games? Come on now. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Moving on. 
So yeah, for all intents purposes, yeah, we're all making a big deal out of nothing, really. Merck's just protected the one, two more than anything else, and Hamilton was being conservative for the sake of being conservative. Um, which is just his style now, because he's one of the better guys at preserving fuel in the field now, so it all makes sense in that regard. It's just, Rosberg did have a point. It's just, we don't like it when drivers complain on the internet these days. But again, it's, it's, it's the nature of fanboyism in Formula One. We, we like nobody can bring up a legitimate complaint without coming across like a whiny bitch. So that's just the problem when it comes to things like this. Well, unless your name is Mark Webber, where you can whine for your entire career and everyone likes you for it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not about making good points. It's about having a charismatic personality more than anything else. Yeah, something that Formula One distinctly lacks. So, you know, when someone shows a bit of personality out there, it's like, oh my god, how do we react to this one? <laughs> it's like, fuck, shit, find your condoms. Rosberg showed some fire. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know Rosberg also had a reputation for being a bit boring as well, so I guess it all kind of fits the anti, anti-Rosberg narrative. Oh my god, he showed emotion. Um, <laughs> what a guy. Um, so, yeah... Let's talk about Renault real quick. And um, Renault had a real bad day. Um, half of their cars didn't make it. And another one had a gearbox problem, which completely ruined his race before he got started. The Kvyat had a blowout early on. Max Verstappen, who was on track, I think, for seventh place, I want to say, um, retired on the home straight three laps before the end, which effectively ended the race because of the safety car that was deployed at the, as a result. And Carlos Sainz had a gearbox problem, which luckily he was able to fix, but by that point he was almost a lap down anyway, and yeah, his race was over before it really got started. Um, so, yeah, just an atrocious day at the office for Renault on this one. There was no passing the buck on this one, King. <laughs> yeah, it seems like... Uh, it seems like these Renault engines are not reliable past two races more than anything else. Yeah, um, Renault has got some serious, serious problems here. And one, they're down on power. And two, they're not even reliable either. And this was the same race where they said they were going to be more aggressive in their engine settings too. So yeah. it's like, uh, like th this was the worst possible outcome for Renault, given they were actually trying to be more aggressive this time around. Yeah, and it should be noted that, like, yes, Danny Ricardo was unaffected, but that could be just chalked up to he's already on his second engine. Yeah, it's like he's on a fresh engine, so... <laughs> well, fresher than the other guys anyway, so, you know, what happened this week could easily happen to Ricardo this coming up weekend for the for Bahrain, so... I mean, Kvyat's already gone on the record, and I think Ricardo has as well, so basically saying that they've already accepted there's going to be an engine penalty in there somewhere along the along the line if they're already on their second, and in some cases, third parts for certain parts of the power unit. So, yeah, it's 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 not a good sign for Renault at the moment, really, is it? No, they 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 just can't seem to get a break. Yep, even more so when Renault revealed today that they that. The, the cause of their engine failures was damaged pistons. Um, that was the good news. The bad news is is that apparently Renault has said it's going to be six weeks at the minimum to fix the problem. So that means Bahrain, Spain, and Monaco between now. And that's if they're lucky. 
Yeah, and apparently uh, it seems like most other manufacturers said, yeah, we're going to have most of our upgrades for Monaco. Uh-oh. <laughs> so <laughs> Renault are behind. Renault were already behind to start the season. Now they're going to be even deeper behind if if the teams are still yet to reveal their true speed, given that most of them have got big upgrades due for the European season. Maybe not Spain, but certainly Monaco. So, yeah, not a good situation at all if you're if you're a Renault driver. And essentially, you know, Max Verstappen's looked very good so far. He's put up a couple of flashy passes. I, I mean... Are you buying into what Martin Rundle and Sky F1 are saying, you know, waxing lyrical over over Verstappen and saying he's essentially the next Michael Schumacher? I mean, they say that about any young driver who appears who appears to be not a pay driver and decently quick. Yeah, like, but it's, it's it's far too soon to tell. Yeah, it's like. People are actually drinking Sky's Kool-Aid too, which makes it all the more cringy. Like, it's 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 even worse in 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 that regard because, like, I've, I've ranted before about Sky's broadcasting quality in on my website Harrison101.com, on video before and in other places, and like it's normally it, it's normally not great, but this one. This one's even worse. Like, they were atrocious this weekend. It, it was, I don't know, just sky, oh. It's like, <laughs> that, to me, that was, that was, what if Sky supported Sebastian Vettel during his reign as champion and tried to actually sell the sport with Sebastian Vettel as champion? That just told me, just just a glimpse into what it, the championship would look like down the road if you have Lewis literally winning every Grand Prix from now until Abu Dhabi. Yeah, their, atro- their, their coverage was awful this round. And, like, I've had, like, Sky at their best are passable. There's always a tinge of Hamilton bias in there. Always. This one... Took it to another level. Like Johnny Herbert was in this, was on the, it was on his Skypad. One he broke it on Saturday, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> on, the, on the on the Sunday, he he basically claimed that Hamilton was he pointing his car so far to the right on Rosberg to intimidate him. Even though about five minutes later, Hamilton admitted it was a mistake and he wasn't meant to point it that far over. Yeah, uh, going back to the mind game speculation. Yeah, the mind games, because, of course, you know, that, that's the narrative. Glad I mentioned the mind games. And on top of that as well, they obviously they, they went completely nuts over Max Verstappen because he passed a couple of people during the Grand Prix who were in slower cars because right now Toro Rosso looked better than the factory team, and, have, and they have done for a couple of rounds now, um, which is just hilariously ironic in its own right. <laughs> but, like, they say, they're, they're, they're declaring him the new Ayrton Senna, which is just horribly depressing. Um, and then on top of that, <laughs> on top of all that as well, they, they, they were trying to shove it in Toto Wolf's face about the whole installation lap incident where, where Vettel basically left the garage side by side with Hamilton. A complete non-story, and they mentioned Hamilton's radio call, where he basically really did whine about the whole thing. And 
and the, the hilarious part was they tried to spin it, but Toto literally couldn't hear the radio message <laughs> due to a Sky technical problem. So, like, it's almost like the Sky's department shot themselves in the foot where that was concerned. But, yeah, Sky's coverage is absolutely atrocious. And, and David Croft's commentary was so... It was like wrestling fan levels of Markism more than anything else. Just... Croft needs to go from player by play. Like... Just, just so bad this weekend. Yeah, like if, if he could do, like if they could just get somebody in specifically f- for the race, I'd be fine if Croft stayed on for every other session. Like back in, like back in the past when he was just doing practice sessions and whatnot, and he was like, I think, I think back for the BBC, he used to do that just the old practice session. He was actually really good because like, when he when he's laid back, he's actually very good in that in that department where he doesn't have to focus on the driving quite so much during practice sessions and whatnot and you, you can fill time really well and you know he's, he's got good banter and rapport with, with other presenters but during the race like my god he's bad the amount of times Brundle had to correct him like a good half dozen times it, 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 it was terrible and uh, let's move on from that before I take my own head off um but uh, yeah, uh, moving on as well. One more major thing to talk about as well was Pastor Maldonado, and uh, Pastor had quite the eventful race. Missed the pit lane um, early on during one of his pit stops, and uh, effectively cost him any chance of getting in the points. And then was collected by Jensen Button of all people, like something you'd never expect from JB, who admitted he was a little, he got a little bit overexcited as he uh, gave Pastel's car a, a French kiss. Um, through turn one, and next thing you know, they're both spun out. Pastel had to retire, and Fernando Alonso had two easy position gains. But, uh, yeah, just a um, bizarre incident, really, and a five-second time penalty that Jensen Button got after the race. What do you yeah. think, I'd say that's pretty, much, <laughs> that's pretty much fair that Jensen got a time penalty, because... Uh, <laughs> To see a former world champion literally collect someone who's known for crashing was kind of ironic. Yeah, that's like the most ironic crash you can ever have because Jensen Button never gets these kind of penalties. I think this is the first time I've ever seen Jensen get get a causing you know, a causing a collision penalty. I think ever. <laughs> if it's happened before, I certainly can't remember it. So. It, um, yeah, a really bizarre incident in that in, in that regard. Um, Pastor, who of course the the whole internet loves to throw under the bus, so to speak, um, being the victim of an accident rather than the cause of one, <laughs> which is funny in its own right. But uh, yeah, that's that's all that's all to be talking about from the Chinese Grand Prix Bahrain this weekend. I believe lights out at four p.m. live on Sky Sports, and I think BBC got this one next next one as well. I'm not 100 percent sure on that one. Have to have to check that one out between now and uh, the time this goes live. But yeah, moving on from that real quick. Uh, oh boy. The grid goal discussion. And this is going to be a... Like, this is a bigger deal than it needs to be, unfortunately. But that's just the nature of journalism and easy clickbait shit. Um, it was... I think, it, I think it started from the Daily Mail. One of the first guys to start reporting this. Um... What, was it some kind of women's charity group, King? Yeah, it was this uh, advocacy group 
this advocacy group in Britain called Object. They're they're a group that pushes for better representation of women in media. One of the major things that one of the major things that they're known for is pushing to pull papers with you know the page three girls. Yeah, that's a big so. Thing, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's mainly a British thing. That doesn't exist in the United States. No, no. Like, American like, get, um, the only thing America does that to is, is whenever Sports Illustrated have a swimsuit issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the closest thing we have, and that's once a year. <laughs> yeah, man, like, what's wrong with having Ronda Rousey with barely any clothes on? Um... <laughs> But yeah, so that's a thing. So that that was the party that was uh, a charitable group that um, basically tried to throw Lewis Hamilton under the bus and accuse him of being sexist. Why you ask? For spraying his champagne at a podium, girl. Yeah. King, is there more to th- is there more to this, or is or are we all overblowing this one like crazy? I mean. They they kind of made the these statements saying that oh that they they never they never at any point called Lewis sexist at all. Yeah, they said that that's Lewis the funny thing about it because everyone's using the is Lewis a sexist label where it's just a convenience of the picture. They never you I think they ever once mentioned Hamilton by name. Is that correct? They they did mention Hamilton by name and they said that he should apologize, but they never called him sexist. Yeah, it's just this is just tabloid spin bullshit, basically, where, you know, they're making out like Hamilton has to apologise for being a sexist for spraying some champagne in a person's face, because you know that doesn't happen at any other podium event we've ever seen before. Like, it it just seems like it's. I mean, okay, in the grand scheme of motorsport at the moment, this is not what motorsport needed at the moment, given how it's already had a grid goal controversy in its own right last week when the WEC made an announcement that they were no longer going to have grid goals on on the grid before Grand Prix, which was generally looked at quite positively by those in the motorsport world. Like, okay, I'd say it like this. I'd say about 70% of the people were all for it. About 20% didn't really care. And about 10% were like, no, no, bring them back. I need, I need my free titillation. Um, it's like, wait, just wait till you discover the internet. Um, <laughs> but... Um, that, that's how I got a gauge on the situation, and like I said, it was universe. I'd say pretty majority people looked at it quite positively as a as a positive change. Um, so then a week later, this comes out, and it, it's bad enough to happen. And has also come out because the WEC started their opening round of their championship this past weekend at Silverstone, and yes, they didn't have grid girls, but they still had the podium girls. Whoops. Yeah, I mean, it, from the WC standpoint, it, it's why. You, it, it seems like you really just, it seems more like a just more of a token gesture than actually doing anything. Yeah, it seemed really, yeah, it was really half-baked as a situation, really. And I know we talked about this before we went on air, but I'm going to quote you on this one and basically say, if you're going to do something like this, you've got to go the whole nine yards. You can't half ass something like this, because it's going to look twice as bad if you made this big deal about removing grid girls, but still have podium girls out there to hand the trophies over. It's just as it's it's just as bad, if not worse, because it, it looks like you've, you've half assed the situation. Yeah, and 
a lot of people claim that, like you kind of said, it, it's tabloid spin. Yes, like people kind of just threw it off as you know the Daily Mail being the Daily Mail, but people took the story and read it. It's in almost every major news publication in the world at this point. Yeah, like I'm reading, they're, they're all posting this now, and, and of course because it's all because they're all copying each other, the sexist label gets taken with it. Yeah, and it's it's like the Sydney Morning Herald in in Australia is running this, the Straits Times in Singapore is running this. I'm reading this right now. Like I, I just wanted to find a format to read these quotes in that was like easier to read, and I'm reading this off of the Washington Post in you know America's capital, Washington D.C., and it's also being run in the in the New York Daily News, and this is the biggest story in Formula One. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy how we just had a big team orders controversy in Formula One, and it was only the second biggest story to come out of China. Um, crazy how these things turn out in motorsport sometimes, I suppose. Um, so yeah, um, it's it, it, it's 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 blown up. It's gone viral. It's gone all over the internet now, and all of a sudden we've now got something to answer for. When I mean, it's obviously an overblown situation. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it was just Hamilton having a cheeky laugh as he sp as he sprayed a bit of champagne in a at a podium girl. And the, the the group in question did make a decent point where they said a podium girl's got to stand there and take it. Uh, and in that regard, yes, maybe it is a bit far. But what well, Hamilton what what like what Hamilton did is hardly something to call major foul over, really, is it? Yeah, exactly. Like I, I have the quote here to read. It says, uh, "Photographs, photographs appear to show that the woman is just not being splashed, but the, but the champagne is being very specifically directed into her face, which does not look like a voluntary piece of piece of horseplay on her part." Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> Roz Hardy, the CEO of this group, said. If if this is the case, we think Lewis Hamilton should apologize for his actions and and should think carefully about how he behaves in the future. For most people, it would be apparent that she's not enjoying it. It surely it it surely is a very difficult position to to be a grid girl, and she would have little little option to stand there and take it. That's that's something. That's something of which he should be aware, but instead he appears to have abused her position. It's in, it's unfortunate that a great victory has been marred by what happened, what what appears to be selfish and inconsiderate behavior. That's one of the quotes that you know people have been kind of misconstruing that oh that they called Lewis Hamilton selfish, uh, selfish and and inconsiderate. Really. Over over a bit of champagne spray, like that required like three paragraphs and 150 words of writing to explain. Like, <laughs> have these guys ever watched a Grand Prix before? <laughs> like, this is such a non-story. It really is, in my opinion. Like, it's a it's nothing more than a playful joke, and like I don't think anyone's going to be hurt too badly with a bit of champagne. I know Adrian Newey probably has no eyes at this. Oh point god. Because of the amount of time. Poor <laughs> man. He just have to, he just have to take us. I mean there's a reason why he brought beer goggles on the podium one time because the poor guy was getting splashed every time Vettel won a race. Poor fella. Um but it, this really is a non-story in my opinion. Like this happens almost every time on the podium where someone takes a little splash and it's just like 
Oh, and instead we're now accusing Hamilton of abusing his position as a race winner with a champagne bottle in his hand by spraying some podium girls with it. And but, I mean, it's... it's it, This specific event, it, it's not... This is not... Shouldn't be a part of the story at all. It should be the, the greater picture of, of media representation of what, what this group proclaims to advocate. It... it, it, it there's a difference between choosing to be there and being paid to be there. It's okay if you, if you spray Adrian Newey because he chose to be the person to take the Constructors' Trophy that race. Hmm. It's true. So what you're saying is because these girls are getting paid for it, you know, that it might be a little bit more questionable? Yeah, it's like uh, they're being paid to be there. They're, they didn't choose to, yes, line up on the route to the podium. What? Yeah. While this is true, and you, you do make a good point where that's concerned, they are be, they are forced they are forced to be there. But surely, in the back of your mind, you must know there's a chance that that could happen. Yes, I I, I wonder what the mentality is. It's like, who wants to be the girl at the end of the line, closest to the podium? Yeah, I, I get it. Like. I think it just ignores the bigger issue, is that why do we still have podium goals in the first place? Exactly. Like, it's like, this is like a very small part of a much bigger problem that's worth talking about. Like, the ha- is Hamilton a sexist? Hell no. no. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Like, anyone with half a brain cell should be able to work that out. Is a conversation worth having about whether podium goals should exist? Definitely. That as a conversation is definitely worth having, and... If if something like this has to happen for us to have that conversation, then it might be for the best in the long run. But media sensationalism will always blur the real problem. I mean, and- that, that's the big thing here because I I'm like I've been searching through all these publications to find like the entire statement because they said that this brings up the general question of whether whether this practice is necessary at all. Exactly, but you know nobody wants to talk about that. Everyone wants to, everyone wants to talk about whether Hamilton's a sexist or not. Just ask my Ask FM inbox. I got I got I got three people different. Three people asking me, "Oh, is Hamilton sexist for what he did?" And they're like, "You people can't use your own brains to work out and he isn't." Like, how is he depleting women by spraying a bit of champagne on them, which is something that every driver has done who's won a Grand Prix or been on the podium at some point? Like, that's normal for Formula One. It's not a new thing. And, and I mean. Th- the thing is that it, it's it's weird to me because the tradition of champagne spraying goes back to the 60s, a point where if like if you go back and like look at photos, there weren't grid girls. Yeah, it's a it's just it's just one of those things, really, and it's just yeah. Let's we're having a conversation about this, but we're having the wrong conversation, which I think is more than anything else. And me personally, as I, I, where I stand on all this is simply put to me, having these women out there are completely unnecessary. You don't need them on the grid. You don't need them, you don't need them on the podium. They add nothing to your product. And I, like, even, even if I'm being, like, callous and being from a more a, you know, a piece of meat standpoint, as a promoter, what do you get for all that extra money you're spending on these women you're having on the grid? 
and you know on the podium. I don't see what what, what, what is it, how is that a worthy investment? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Like I, I kind of compare this to I you see Sky do this with the F1 show and other shows that they want to have a live audience for quote unquote atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Like I I I I don't get it. I really don't personally, and like. I, I I hardly I hardly see, you know, the where you get a financial gain from doing something like that at all. To be honest, and I don't think I don't think they're necessary anymore. Especially in 2015, where we are becoming a more socially conscious age. Um, maybe it's time we move on from that tradition of grid girlism and James Hunt having a cigarette in his mouth while staring up a woman like, you know, I'm going to take care of both of you later <laughs> after after this race win and you know that mantra. Um, I think we, I think the sport has moved on. I think we as a society has moved on from those days. And yeah, I think it's about time motorsport move on from it too. And hell, if 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 if, if some of these leagues are having trouble money wise, we might be doing them a favor in the long run by saving them money. <laughs> it's like one of the one of the things that was really disheartening to me about this entire situation that this is people's only lens in the Formula One this weekend, and that was kind of sad and that people who aren't Formula One fans like I think somebody commented this uh, columnist at, at the top at the Sunday Times and she said that she she basically like she's not a Formula One fan at all and basically only had this picture go off and, and she said Lewis Hamilton is a douche I don't know why I would ever want to be a fan of a sport that would treat women this way and everyone in the comments was like yeah I don't know why I would even want to be a woman and be a fan in the Formula 1 and that was kind of sad that is terrifying to me but you know at least it's an obvious way of knowing who doesn't watch Formula 1 and you know You'd think someone who writes for the Sunday Times would would know better than just to post a picture and comment on it with no real context Yeah I mean <sighs> You should be smarter than that. If you write for a it, national it, paper, it, it seems like something Bernie cares about, like how Formula One is perceived by the general public, and this is not a good way to to show Formula One to the world. Yeah, it's like now Bernie's only just starting to wake up and realize this, while at the same time, mainstream media, a lot of them who don't watch Formula One, are going to post this up with no real context or understanding of how Formula One works as a sport. And then go completely nuts about it, and then I mean, <laughs> and that's, that's gonna that's gonna hook in people who again don't watch because the majority of people on mainstream media don't watch Formula One. It's still quite a niche sport over here in terms of popularity. So, and despite it being probably one of two places where Formula One is the most popular in the world, exactly. So. Ugh, just an ugly situation all in, and obviously we'll see how it develops as time goes on, because I, I have a feeling this is not going to be the last time we talk about this on the podcast. Um, I reckon there'll be more of that soon, more than likely. Um, so let's move on from that talk. Um, if you've got any comments about that, please feel free to leave, leave some in the post on the website on this video, or obviously just, just to send them into the show. Um, you can obviously tweet me at Harrison101HD about this, or you can email the show at theharrisonanalysis at gmail.com as well. So you can, if, you have, if you've got anything that's worth chiming in on the show, feel free to send it over. Let's talk about two-wheel action now for a bit. MotoGP had round two of their championship at the Circuit of the Americas this past weekend, and, uh, boy, it was an interesting weekend, but not for the reasons we were expecting. Um, 
top of the bill. Let's let's get it out of the way. Mark Marquez is a goddamn monster. Um, again, if you watch MotoGP, you probably already knew that. Um, for the record, those guys that don't know, Marquez has won now has won eight consecutive races in America. He has never lost a MotoGP race that has taken place in the United States. <laughs> he has not lost in America, period, since 2011. Yeah, that was a long time. The first time I don't know, that was his Moto2 rookie season, and the only person, and that was the year, that was the last time he didn't win a championship of any kind. Who would have thought that Stefan Bradl would have been the last man to beat Mar- Marquez for a championship? Hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, Marquez took the win. But what was, I think, even more spectacular was his utterly insane qualifying lap. Now, I've, I've, I've spoken about this on a couple of other shows before already, and on the website in my race review. For those of us that don't know, he had to park his, his number one bike on the home straight, with three minutes to go in qualifying, he had to leap over the barrier, run through the pit lane. The team had to wheel out his second bike with no preparation time whatsoever. He had the wrong front tyre on his bike. And despite that, with one lap and one lap only to go on, he beat his own track record by six tenths of a second and set a 202.1, the fastest ever lap of the Circuit of the Americas on two wheels. This man is utterly insane, King. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Spanish ambassador to the United States definitely showed he's got pace. He's got pace. And I remember Andrea <laughs> Davizioso, who qualified in second, who was three tenths back um, on the Ducati. He said in, afterwards in an interview, that was one of the most insane things I've ever seen on a motorcycle. Or words, <laughs> or words to that effect. It was. <laughs> it wasn't even a perfect lap. It had mistakes, but it was just that fast. <laughs> oh, Mark Marquez. Oh, it's like when you see someone that talented at anything, you just have to sit back and just appreciate it. He's one of the very, very few athletes in sport which I use the, the word genius to describe because that's exactly what he is. There is no better word for it. It was his yeah. 20th... It, go on, go on King. Go. Yeah, it's like genius definitely comes to mind. There are only two people. There are only two people in sport that I describe as genius now, and you probably know the other. Who could that be? <laughs> Spill? You know... Michaela Schifrin, genius at slalom. But moving on. For those guys that don't know, King has a huge thing for Michaela Schifrin, the uh, female slalom skier. God bless him, somebody has to. Um, (laughs) King's taking him on for the team in that regard. uh, Wow. But yeah, there's no doubt about it. Marquez is a goddamn genius. And that was his 20th MotoGP class victory. He's only ever entered 38 races in his MotoGP career. So he's won more than half the races he's ever entered in MotoGP. 20 out of 38. He's now tied Freddie Spencer for MotoGP wins, who was the, who was the youngest ever world champion in MotoGP. Um, he's now matched Max Biaggi for podiums. And as a total, he's now hit 46 race wins in all categories, which now puts him into ninth place on the all-times wins list. And he's still only 22 years old. He's got 15 more years in him if he wants it. That is terrifying to me. 
Yeah, I mean, we could finally see the all-time wins record go down, which Agostini, is insane. Agostini, like, if I'm Agostini, I'm not sleeping at night at the moment. Like, <laughs> like, they, like there could be a serious problem here um, if if this keeps up. But uh, yeah, quick rundown: Davizioso and Rossi had their um, had continued their little feud from Qatar as well. Only this time it was for second rather than the win. Um, Davizioso winning the war this time around again in revenge on Rossi for Qatar after Rossi shredded his front tyre trying to keep up with Dovi um, as the race would go on um, it was a great result for Dovi again another second place for him only one point off Rossi in terms of the championship lead at the moment in second place Rossi in third Jorge Lorenzo wasn't really there in fourth he came back a little bit towards the end passing Iannone for fifth place but Lorenzo wasn't really there apparently he's been suffering from bronchitis which wow. isn't which isn't ideal if you're a bike rider. <laughs> so he was he was cooked up to the gills on antibiotics, the poor guy. Um, so yeah, get well soon, Jorge, and all that. He had only fifth. Bradley Smith was top Britain sixth place. More on that later. He was actually in that leading pack for a good chunk of the Grand Prix. Faded back towards the end there in sixth. Cal Crutchlow in seventh. I'm still starting to think if Cal is just another version of Stefan Bradl at this rate, given <laughs> his relative lack of speed, given the bike he's on um, in seventh place. Only just ahead, only two seconds ahead of Alicia Spagaro on the Suzuki. Hmm. So let me get this straight. The factory Honda is barely able to beat Alicia Spagaro on a Suzuki. That's not a good look, Cal, especially when Dunny Pedrosa had a career-threatening injury and came in sick in Qatar. Welp. Um, I'm just, that's all I'm saying at this point in time. Good job from both Suzuki's getting both their bikes in the top 10 in 8th and 9th, even if there was 19 seconds between them. Uh, as Alicia was 19 seconds off the win, Maverick Vinales was 38. Um, Danilo Petrucci rounded off the top 10. The replacement for Danny Pedrosa temporarily, at least for the next two rounds, Hiroshi Ayama in 11th place, a mere 47 seconds off his slightly more talented teammate. It kind of makes you wonder why Honda didn't just take Casey Stoner for a round or two. Like, I, I read... Did you read Honda's explanation as to why they didn't give Casey a, a role? No, I didn't read it. <laughs> yeah, for those... Okay, okay, Casey didn't know. Casey Stoner himself went to Honda and said, I can fill in for the, for the next two rounds if, if you need it, basically. Um, so That was a real surprise, because Casey's made it quite clear he doesn't, he doesn't have any desire to come back full-time. But he felt like he, ho he owed Honda a favour. So he said he was willing to fill in for, for this round and the next round in Argentina next weekend. Honda said no, because they felt like they couldn't get him a bike that could put him on the podium. Uh... Do I smell bullshit or is it just me? It's like, if, if Mark Marquez can win the Grand Prix on that bike, I'm pretty sure whatever he can scrounge up for the other bike will do just fine. It, it doesn't matter, because in terms of the Manufacturer's Championship, only the highest ranking bike counts. So, oh. <laughs> so whatever Hiroshi or whoever was on the second bike, if you assume that Marquez finishes, it doesn't matter what the second guy does. So... I just, I just don't see why you wouldn't just take I, Casey Stoner for a couple of rounds. But that just makes the case for them not to take Stoner, because it doesn't matter who you put on the other bike. But it's Casey. Get some marketing money in, you know. I don't know. <laughs> to me, this goes back to probably 
it's it's commonplace in the NFL where you have Tom Brady coming in to temporarily replace Drew Bledsoe, or you have Aaron Rodgers come in to fill in for Brett Favre. They might be there for longer than you expect. Yeah, I, I, I get that Honda made the safe play by taking Ayama, but I just felt like it's Casey. If By your own logic, if you don't want to give a bike that's not good enough to be on the podium... Why would you give it to Aroshi Ayama then? I mean, it, it just it just feels like a cop-out for me. But, yeah, there you go. He just finished ahead of the top open-class runner, Hector Barbaro, in 12th. Nicky Hayden celebrating his 200th Grand Prix. Yeah. How? In the top <laughs> class. Um, in 13th place, just ahead of Jack Miller, who got his first points in MotoGP in 14th place, the balmy Australian man. Um, and Alvaro Bautista getting a prettiest first points since they came back in 15th. Just a mere minutes off the win as you do um, moving on to Moto2 and uh, my co-host on Bike Live Rebecca James is going to be excited because oh my god Sam Lowe's actually won <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean Sam Lowe's really showed the field how to ride a bike that day <laughs> yeah that was a brilliant brilliant performance from Sam Lowe's I, I can't I don't even want to admit this because I know I'm going to get taken the piss out of it for it on Friday because I was the only one of the three of us that picked Sam Lowe's to win this race. <laughs> my Bex was ultra conservative and picked Tito Rabat, and my, my other co-host, Lewis Sotheby, picked Johan Zarco, who came in second. Um, it was kind of a run-of-the-mill race. Zarco was controlling the race until about seven laps to go. Sam Lowe's pulled the pin and passed him, took, took the lead at the front, and then Xavier Simeon, who was who was the third of the four guys in that leading pack, hit Zarco's bike coming through the exit of turn two. And next thing you know, the bike is without a rider going off into the distance, and Simeon is going into a slip and slide, and he's about 50 yards down the road on his levers. <laughs> um, so oh, Simeon what? was out. Zarco then claimed it wasn't his fault after the race. And then after that, Sam Lowe's had had enough of his bullshit and basically set three consecutive track records to go on to win the race. Um, truly insane from Sam Lowe's there. I mean, back to the Simeon incident, it was it was scary because they they eventually showed the onboard footage oh, of God. what happened when the bike went went on after without when Simeon went off and yeah. the bike crossed back across the track. Yeah, the bike nearly took out Alex Rins afterwards, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> It's an it's back to back Moto two races with really really ridiculous looking onboards after Zarco nearly hit the concrete fence in 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 Qatar um, after his gearbox went out and he didn't realise just how close to the wall he was. Um, Simeon's bike goes flying and it nearly torpedoed Alex Rins. It, it was very similar to a crash that happened. Um, I think it was at Mugello last season where I think it was Crutchlow who had a big high side. And the bike slid off underneath him, and it had so much velocity, it ended up going, cutting the corner and hitting Stefan Bradl, who yeah. went well over the front of his bike and had an enormous high side of his own. It was like playing Skittles, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, a crazy, crazy race. Sam Lowe's getting his very first Moto2 win, and it looks like the speed-up pace is real because all three speed-ups are in the top ten, with Anthony West in 7th and Julian Simon in ninth for the um, QM QMMF racing team there. But yeah, like it looks like Speed Up have really got their shit together here with Sam Lowe's, and there's no reason, like, in my opinion, he can't challenge for the championship if he can just put it all together. 
If yeah, I'm Sam, I mean, more of that, please. <laughs> yes, please, more, more. Speed up could be, I mean, they're not little, but the little outfit that could. Well, they're little in the context of the grid because there's only three speed ups and there's 21 Calex runners. So, but, uh, yeah. yeah, that that puts into context what we're dealing with here. Speed up are not anywhere on that same kind of level when it comes to just having bikes to play with in the field. So, that's a thing. Sam, just a quick rundown of the, for the full result. Sam Lowe's winning. Zeman Zarko second. Alex Rins, who actually leads the championship after two rounds, <laughs> getting his first Moto2 podium in third place. Um, great performance from Rins there. Was with the leading pack almost until the end there. And um, yeah, the way maths works these days is funny. But Rins, after finishing fourth in Qatar and third here, now leads the championship ahead of. A very lonely Tito Rabat in fourth place. It just wasn't on the same level as that leading pack of four. Um, it took him a, a good while to deal with Franco Morbidelli, the um, Italian Italtrans rider there in fifth place, um, ahead of uh, Hafi Sarahin, who had his best result in Moto2 in sixth place for the Petronas team. So a good weekend if you represent Petronas out there. These, um, so... A good result where that's concerned for him. Anthony West, as you mentioned, in 7th. The 2nd, the Taltrans of Mika Kallio in 8th. Julian Simon in 9th. Takanakagami, remember him from 2013? In 10th. <laughs> um, the man, little man that can't win a race in 10th place. So nice result for him and the Edimitsu team. Simone Corsi in 11th. Did he, thank God he didn't take anybody out this race. Um, Thomas Luti in 12th for the Interwitz and Suter team. Marcel Schrotter in 13th. Sandro Cortese in 14th, just ahead of the reigning Moto3 champion Alex Rins, getting the last of the points in 15th. It's amazing how these things turn out in MotoGP, how one minute you're winning the race, and next minute you're in 16th like Jonas Volga after winning the last round, doesn't even get in the points in America. Weird. Um, that's actually... Gotta, gotta love bike racing. Yeah. It, you never know what's going to happen in those in those middle classes. Like, if you have a bad day in Moto2, you're going to be finishing outside the points. If you have a good day, you've got a shot at winning. It's, it's amazing, like, where that's concerned. Moving on to Moto3 real quick, and Danny Kent with one of the dominant Moto3 performances of our era. Um, an unreal performance. If anyone watches Moto3, you'll know that winning a race by eight and a half seconds just doesn't happen. <laughs> it just it just doesn't happen. Normally, it's an enormous pack of at least five riders battling for the win. Not this time. Danny Kent broke free from the pack, and while everybody else was dicing with each other, Danny Kent was like, you know what, I'm out of here. <laughs> and he was gone. And next thing you know, he's won by eight and a half seconds, which I think is the biggest winning margin, I think, in Moto3 history. Wow. Um, um, I've not seen a race where anyone else has won by more than eight and a half seconds. I might have to look back into the archives on that one. Um, in second, the 15-year-old rookie, Fabio Quattararo, in just his second ever Moto3 race, finishes in second place. This kid is something special. Make no mistake of that. He finished just ahead of the second Leopard racing bike, Efren Vasquez, um, in third. So he, I think he came from 15th on the grid to finish in third. So great result for Vasquez. Just ahead of uh, Enna Bastianini in fourth. Um, the Italian now second in the championship after two really good opening rides. Top KTM was Brad Binder in fifth place. Just ahead of the the Wii, John McPhee in sixth place, representing Scotland for Racing Team Germany in sixth, ahead of Andrea Locatelli. Romano, 
Louis Sudderby is my biggest fan, Fanati, in eighth place, ahead of uh, Isaac Vinales, Carol Hanneke, Jakob Kornfile, Andrea Migno, Philip Ottel, Nic- Nicholas Io in 14th, and Matteo Ferrari getting the last of the points in 15th place as the highest ranking Mahindra after. Uh, Francesco Bagniaia hit the deck at the bottom of the hairpin. It was actually quite a lot of retirements here. Darren Binder, um, Hules Danilo, Hiroki Ono, Hiroki ono the third Leopard racing bike. Jorge Martin, the Red Bull Rookies champion, hit the deck. Jorge Navarro didn't make it. Francesco Bagniaia, the big shocker. Miguel Oliveira, who was another one of those guys that looked like he was going to be favourite to win. Um, he went down with eight laps to go and... The big one was Alexis Masbu, who dropped it literally on the final corner. Oh, dear. <laughs> and had to wheel his bike over the line. Um, and by the time that happened, he finished 47 seconds off the win in 16th place and out of the points altogether. Whoops. So, uh, yeah, not a, not a, not a uh, good day at the office for the Frenchman and former championship leader. Um, so that's all MotoGP for you. Um, check it out if you haven't already. Not the best set of races, but still pretty darn good. It, um, a lot of it, a lot of action still to check out, and definitely better than Formula One was anyway. <laughs> it's like those weren't bad races. I mean, I mean, those weren't amazing races. <laughs> like wow. Yeah. And it was still way above average in the grand scheme of things. Like in the context of motorsport, they were still all really good. Um, so yeah, you know, check them out if you didn't know already, and just bear in mind there was a 45-minute delay for the MotoGP race because of a water puddle. I'm not making this up. Uh, <laughs> there was a water puddle leak at turn three, which caused like a 37-minute delay, but they finally got going in the end. And it was a big <laughs> puddle, like my god! <laughs> and it was on the racing lines; so it was a complete no-go. Um, well, that's concerned, so I'm glad that wasn't a thing. Um, Greatest use of Dorna graphics ever. <laughs> yeah, like, if, if, you, if, you, if you do check it out, there is a Dorna graphic which basically says water spillage over a giant puddle. And for that, Dorna win the award of the most completely pointless graphics in the history of, of motorsport. Because <laughs> apparently we need to be told if there's an engine, if, there, if there's a water spillage. Whoops. <laughs> Magnificent. Right. Let's talk about IndyCar, and uh, IndyCar had their first ever Grand Prix of New Orleans, or Louisiana, as I should say, really, because it was the first Grand Prix of Louisiana, uh, at, down at New Orleans, and um, yeah, I think it was fair to say, King, it was a bit damp out there. Yeah, it was a bit damp. Like, if if you don't know, New Orleans, Louisiana is pretty, it's, it's relatively close to, to Austin, Texas, so they got the majority of that massive storm. Yeah, um, so yeah, it was, Kota was pretty wet all weekend, they just got lucky and it didn't rain during the during the Sunday. Um, the weekend itself was pretty dry, but Friday it was loaded when it came to water and whatnot. So yeah, Kota had a bit of the storm as well, but uh, Louisiana had the brunt of it basically, and uh, as a result, um, the race turned into a bit of a farce unfortunately, King. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Uh, it, they they tried to move the race up to avoid the weather, tr- to try to avoid the weather and get the race done before darkness. That didn't that didn't help at all. And nope. uh, just the moment the first caution came out, 
it was over. It was over. It was just caution after caution after caution because people couldn't keep it on track because it's not a Formula One venue where there's massive amount of runoff. So if you go off, you pretty much still have, you pretty much do have traction. Go off on soaking wet dr- grass and you're left to your own devices. You've had it. I mean, we saw Gabby Chavez have a big spin and then. You know, he was he, he spent like a good thirty seconds to a minute just spinning the wheel wheels, trying to inch his way back onto the track. He then had to be pushed on back onto the track by a, by a steward, well, not steward by a marshal, and then he stalled the engine and he was out. So it's just like, oh for God's sake! <laughs> after all of that, um, and then after that, we just had a string of of caution flags and then bad restarts because somebody would end up in the wall or somebody would end up um, tagging somebody else and it was just a really unfortunate situation where that's concerned and I know Hawksworth was one of the guys that was in the wall and um, then they broke out a time limit King yeah they broke out a 30 minute time limit I mean uh, why was there a time limit we talked about this on on debrief and apparently Ben McPhillips told me that it was because of broadcasting restrictions Is is that is that the case uh, if it was on ABC, I would say yes, because that's one of, you know, the four major networks in the United States. But no, it was on pay to air NBCSN and Sunday night on NBCSN. There's really nothing else on. So I don't think it was mainly because of that. I think it was mainly to avoid darkness. Was it going to get out that quick over there? I mean, uh, by the time the race ended, they probably had like, 90 minutes of daylight left. So, I mean, 90 minutes before the sun went down. I I don't know how much time of, like, daylight where it was safe to race they had left, but they didn't have much time. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, And it was dark as the storm clouds as well, which obviously just doesn't help. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there was a 30-minute time limit. I think we only got about half of race distance in, something like 45 laps out of the 75 that was originally billed. Um, yeah, the, like the, the, yeah. Um, my, my friend uh, Matt Hickey over at IndyCar Minnesota, he basically said of the 105 minute long race, 74 minutes were under yellow. Jesus, so, yeah, oh, nearly three quarters of the race was under caution flag, which is just awful. Um, and it wasn't really anybody's fault except the track, really, because the track was with it being brand new. It didn't have a drainage system, so if the track was uneven and bumpy in places, there were puddles on track. And, of course, being drivers who were racing, you had to have, yeah, you had to have dry tires on because the track was mostly dry except for a couple of puddles everywhere, and they were spinning out on those. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a bad situation. I mean, it was a terrible situation that they were put in because of the weather. If it was dry, this wouldn't be an issue at all. Exactly. If it was dry, it would never have been a problem. You know, we we like a bit of bumps and, and whatnot when it comes to when it comes to tracks these days. But obviously, because the track doesn't have a draining system, we just have puddles everywhere when it came to moments like this. So, you know, that's hence why we had all these incidences, and hence why, you know, we had a we had a you know mostly caution straight after the restarts, and then of course the race was effectively over when uh, Ryan Hunter Ray 
pushed Simon Pagano off the track. I mean, there was nowhere to go for Pagano in that situation. It was either grass or contact. I think, I think was where, that's where Ryan stuck his car. That's, that's, that's my opinion on the situation. Yeah, and it, I mean, Hunter Ray says he didn't have any room, even though photos and video disagree. Yeah, like that, he blatantly had room. I don't know what Ryan Hunter Ray was talking about in that situation. He blatantly had enough room to let Pagano safely at least attempt to pass, which is what he was trying to do. Um, Pagano had literally nowhere to go. It was either grass or contact, and obviously you take the grass. Problem with that was... He lost control of his car, he spun across the track, came back on, and then plowed into the side of Hunter Ray and Sebastian Bourdais in a hellacious free car pileup. And with about six minutes to go in the race, that was it, effectively. Um, so as a result of, of, of that, of all people, the podcast's favourite, the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe, got the win, which... Um, this is like, first ever IndyCar win. Hooray. So <laughs> the mayor gets his first win and is now fourth in the championship after that win as well. And uh, he'll be getting a nice bump up on my next Formula 30 poll as a result <laughs> of that one. Um, even if it was a complete fluke. And basically, Hinchcliffe just got completely lucky, didn't need to pick for anything, and was just in the right place at the right time, really. Uh, I'm not sure on the full running order. Did you know what the podium was, King? Uh, no, I'd have to look it up, but I know Simona Di Silvestro finished fourth. Woo! Despite being, despite not even being a full-time driver. Yeah, she's in part-time. She's not driving the car again until the Indy 500, um, because she's already had the car relinquished for rounds, you know, three and four. Um, so Simona, who's driving part-time, ends up fourth and is now again sixth in the championship now after that great result for her. So, yay for Motorsport Bay. Um, there's a proper female racing driver, those kids. Yeah, it's because they're <laughs> to what Carmen Jordan has to say on racing matters. Jesus Christ. Um, oh, God, we're not going down that hole today. <laughs> Not today, but um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend checking this IndyCar race out. You will be frustrated with life. Um, not not a good one. Let's just say it was worse than China, and I didn't think that you could get much more mediocre than that. Um, so that's a thing. Quick quick wrap up of Formula E before we go. Um, Formula E had their round a couple of weeks ago at Long Beach. Um, we didn't have time to talk about it on last week's podcast, but uh, Nelson Piquet. After a few rounds of knocking on the door, finally got his first win in Formula E in dominant fashion, King. Yeah, in dominant fashion, which is something that you don't really see much of in Formula E, where usually, if you're dominant most of the race, you're probably not going to finish it. Exactly. So, um... That's the thing, like we, we like we we don't want to end up doing a Sam Bird, so to speak, where you're in, you're up the front but you've used too much power and not realised it, um, <laughs> or have burn type issues where you're leading almost the entire race and your car has a mechanical issue. <laughs> yeah, like, P, like PK started second on the grid, ahead of that, just just behind Daniel Apt, who put a stonking lap together to get pole position. Um, and PK passed him into turn one, and then that was it. Basically, after the safety car, there was no stopping Nelson PK, and um, just a great result from him there. And now, I think I'm right in saying second in the championship, just a point behind Lucas Degrassi, who I think was third in that in, in that same race. 
Um, yep. Lucas, De, Lucas Degrassi is a pest. He, 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 just, he does not go away. <laughs> uh, always racking up the chunky points. So, he was key came third. Finally, a bit of justice for John Eric Verne, who, after two nasty mechanical failures earlier in the season, came in second. And... You know, he got the bonus because he had he had Cristiano Ronaldo's ex girlfriend hand him the trophy. So who's the real winner here? <laughs> <laughs> John Eric Vern is the real winner. John Eric Vern because he, he put on his Instagram page. I mean, I won the race, but I certainly won the podium. We know what you were getting at there, John. You can have Cristiano Ronaldo's sloppy seconds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's a thing. Um, Lucas Degrassi and third. Daniel Apps was very unlucky. He uh, missed out. I think it was excessive power unit usage, which uh, caused him to have a drive-through penalty and robbed him of a surefire podium uh, yeah. in, in that situation. Not much else to really report from Formula E besides as well the funny moment of Charles Peake going, Viva la France! And then diving <laughs> into the hairpin and collecting Yano Trilli in the process. Um... It was a bit of bad luck for Yano in that regard. He was he was already tagged and made contact with uh, um, Jerome D'Ambrosio for the Dragon Team. And then, next thing you know, Charles Peake was, decided to finish the job by colliding into him. Um, and that was quite a funny moment. And, you know, we were I mean, we do, during this race, and we were just getting the piss out of it, really. We, we did have Pross v. Senna during the race. Oh, yeah, and uh, Senna came out on top for once. <laughs> uh, oh well, maybe not for once, but yes, we had, you know, Jack Nichols got to finally live his commentary dream of saying he's commenting on, on Pross versus Senna. What a guy, because that joke's not been made 15 times before this series already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we had we had a Pross versus Senna shutdown, which was always fun as well. So yeah, check it out. I mean, get me wrong, the, the, the scary thing is that, that was still a pretty good race. And it wouldn't even make Formula E's top three for so far this season. So definitely check it out if you haven't done so already. And check out round six of the championships. The European season starts up because they'll be racing in Monaco, I believe on May the 9th, I think is the day for that one. So yes. check that one out. It's going to be at Monaco. It's bound to be freaking cool because you can just recognize stuff. And uh, drive around a shorter version of the Monaco Grand Prix circuits, which should be fun. So yeah, check that one out if you get a chance. Should be great. Looking forward to seeing that as well. Whew! We got for everything, King! And we're still alive. Hopefully we'll be alive after people listen to this. Who knows? We, we might be hunted down and burnt at the stake by a bunch of feminists. Who knows? Oh, God. But, um, King, for those guys that don't know already, where, where, can, we, where can the listeners check you out? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at Ryan Eric King, and you can find all my content at formulae.nyc. Yep, check him out there if you haven't already. Brilliant writer. Occasional video maker when he can feel like it. <laughs> and he's on every F1 podcast known to man. So, check him out where that's concerned. He's also on the Finish Line podcast of Athlete VG. Highly recommend you check those guys out. I've been on there a couple of times myself. They produce, they produce great content. I think the yeah, new episode new went live today, didn't it? No, new episode goes live next Monday because we're recording it after, bar, after the Bahrain Grand Prix on Sunday. Yep. So yeah, check that out when you get an opportunity as well. Um, the last episode went live on the 31st of March. Uh, um, see, my iTunes is so bad about updating itself, I thought like it was a new episode, but it was actually two weeks ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible. Um, so yeah, new episode is out next week for the finish line. And of course, check us out. Hopefully every week there's another triple header this, uh, this weekend. It's going to be an absolutely loaded podcast again. Like, please, can we just have no extra news from Bahrain? 
Could you just have a run-of-the-mill Hamilton win, please? <laughs> burst my lung talking about all this stuff. Like, I, I need a weekend off, basically. So, um, first Formula One, obviously the Bahrain Grand Prix where that's concerned, MotoGP in Argentina, and IndyCar at Long Beach as well. And, of course, if you're a Bike Life fan, check us out on Downforce there as well, as we'll be talking about that. BSB at Brands Hatch and World Superbikes, I think, at Assen this weekend as well. So all of that, check all of that shit out when you get a chance. I've been Andre Harrison, he's been Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already, and we'll catch you guys next time.